The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Joanne Kraft of Grace and Truth Living led a track called Women and Disciple Making. Joanne Kraft has put together a nifty PDF download of 42 scriptures that are great for memorizing and for discipleship in general. And it's available for free through discipleship.org. Now, these scripture passages are a great way for you and someone you disciple to memorize scripture together. It has a beautiful design. And what's great is that you can print it off from anywhere you are in the world. This PDF is available for download through discipleship.org slash grace and truth. That's one word. So go online and download their free PDF at discipleship.org slash grace and truth. Now here's the track session from Grace and Truth Living. So my name is TC Cannon, and even today I had someone ask, is that your real name? Is that, or what I often get is, where did you get that name? Where did that name come from? And the truth is, my name came from an 18-year-old hippie. Um, my mother. Actually, she was 19, and she had a nightmare that she had named me something common, and when I went to school, I know, it's hideous for a hippie, you know, that was the worst thing you could do. Um, but she had this nightmare that she named me this common name, and at school, when, when the teacher would call out that name, all the girls would rush forward, and she just did not want me to be um, one of the crowd. Um, and so uh, it, I have come to appreciate the fact that I am pretty much the only, I've only met one other TC spelled T-E-A-S-I in my entire life. Raise your hand if you've ever met anybody named this before. Okay, I don't want this to sound super prideful, but you should feel very excited that you're in the presence of something rare. You, I am rare. Um, it was torture torturous as a child because back in those days uh, we didn't have the internet you couldn't special order anything with your name on it and so I just remember being at the mall at the keychain kiosk just spinning and spinning and hoping miraculously TC would show up on something somewhere it never did but um, so I'm okay with that now and I've finally did meet one other lady via Facebook who her mom made it up to and she's my age and our moms didn't know each other very weird. So we'll, we'll tap into that might be my next book. I don't know <laughs> how'd that happen. But um, so one thing I want to say before we start is that uh, this is going to feel as good as getting a splinter pulled out most likely for some of us. You know how that's not fun, but when it's over, you're like, yes, and you know you needed to do it. You could just leave it there because you don't want to deal with it, but you know that it'll just get infected or, you, you know, you can ignore it for so long, but eventually that's going to rise to the surface and, and you're going to have to deal with it. Um, and I, I want to say this up front because it is my heart and goal that no one leave here feeling discouraged, overwhelmed, disappointed in yourself, afraid, or any of that so I just want you to know that if you feel that please come tell me that I did that I failed in my goal <laughs> yeah just say, no don't do that but please that's yeah don't do that because I'll leave <laughs> um, any but I just want you to know my my heart is to be encouraging but sometimes the encouragement we need can hurt a little bit sometimes right and it might not maybe I maybe it won't I hope it won't um, but it can get a little bit uh uh, you know, we get that pit in our stomach sometimes when we're dealing with uh, Debbie Doubter. So to start, what I want you to, to imagine is how many of you were here last session? 
Okay, it was fantastic. And what I wanna also encourage you to do is to take every session that you attend, when you leave and go home, you put all of that on the table and you ask the Holy Spirit, what was for me? And, and you also, I love Joanne said, we don't ever wanna compare ourselves. This isn't a competition. We are all the body of Christ doing what he leads us to do one step at a time. Um, and I'm probably scaring you now. You're like, why is she having to put so many disclaimers out? <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, I'm, I just, my heart is so, so much for encouragement and I just don't want ever, I've been in places where I felt overwhelmed, like, oh, I'm a failure, I can't do this. And I hate that feeling. So I just, you know, but we can move through that. Um, so I want you to imagine you're at coffee. You've had several lattes with Debbie. And, and she is at the point where she is feeling really comfortable and she says can I get really honest or he we've uh, I don't want to assume everybody's with a you know we've got a gentleman in the room so forgive me if it's all about women right now but she says can I get real gut level honest with you and then she starts saying this a friend of mine told me that there are over 200,000 copying errors in the New Testament translations I googled it and it's true how can we believe what we're reading? I feel like it's really narrow-minded for Christians to say we are the only true religion. I don't think I can believe in a God that's that, that, that divisive. Why are there so many contradictions in the Old Testament? How can I share my, my faith with my friends when I'm not even sure there's a God? I was listening to a pastor that I've really loved for years, and he's out of the blue just said that he totally believes in the Big Bang. And it just totally freaked me out. I, I didn't think anybody that was a true believer would ever believe that. How can I trust anything anymore? Or maybe Debbie Doubter says some of these. How can we know the Bible is the one and only truth? Just because it says it is God-breathed, how can we be sure? Is the New Testament really God's word to us or just recollections and letters from men? Is the New Testament inspired or just inspiring? <clears throat> is the truth of the Bible really true for me or just other people? Why do so many bad things happen to good people? These are the questions plus more from the room. Or maybe she says, my boyfriend has been listening to this guy on YouTube and I'm really confused. There's no evidence. God doesn't stop the evil in the world. In fact, if you read the Bible, God committed plenty of it. Drowning just about everything alive, not a sign of love. The opening lines of the Bible are factually wrong. Why should we believe the rest of it? Prayer has never fixed anything physically impossible. Why won't God heal amputees? There are thousands of gods you don't believe in. What makes yours any different? Where you're born essentially determines what you believe. Why should the truth be based on geography? Who created God? And how does your answer to that make any sense? Pediatric cancer. Unconditional love shouldn't come with a list of conditions. Every single supposed miracle gets debunked eventually. Somehow, the Ten Commandments left off, don't rape people, and slavery is not okay. The movies and music that honor God are just awful. <laughs> <laughs> the 
existence look very much alike. No hide-and-seek game lasts this long. Science explains so much of what we used to attribute to a god. The more we learn, the less reason we have to believe in God. If you try to explain your religious mythology to someone who had never heard it before, you would sound crazy. Seriously, try explaining communion wafers to someone who's never heard of Catholicism. If God didn't exist, the world would look exactly the same way it does now. If God existed, he would smite me right now. <laughs> Got any more short arguments against God's existence? Leave them below and we'll make a follow-up to this video. Okay. Um, first of all, I do want to comment that that's a legit, there's several websites like that. Several ministries like, or quote, atheistic agendas. And what's really hilarious is once you begin to start really listening critically to some of this, you realize that what his goal was to give evidence against the existence of God. And he actually didn't give one single shred of evidence against the existence of God. He only said, all I could walk away from is that you don't like him. He didn't actually give us solid grounds to believe there's no God if we really were listening to that. It was just he doesn't like God. So really he actually proved there is a God. He just doesn't like it. Anyway, so you, you can begin to listen to this. But Debbie Doubter is with you and she is struggling with doubt. And so she's on that precipice, you know, that top of the mountain where you can tell, all right, this might, she's, she's going one way or the other. And all these questions she's asked, first of all, I want to commend you that she feels safe to say it because that is humongous. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the fact that she feels safe to admit all of that is a huge step in the right direction of discipling her. Um, but what do you feel? I want you to think about, maybe you already have a pit in your stomach. I'm not going to ask you to admit what you would feel if somebody just threw all that at you at coffee or at your house or wherever you are. I'm not going to ask, but I just want to say that what I have felt I have had all of those or similar questions or things thrown at me over the course of my life, whether discipling my children or I taught middle school and high school Bible um, or with adults. I've had, I've heard something similar to some of those along the way. And there have been times when I have felt frustrated, like, are you kidding me? You know, we... <laughs> How many times have I led you through morning devotions and this, <laughs> you know, you're frustrated because of all you've done or afraid, like <laughs> panicked, like, I don't know. I, I don't know any of the answers to that. I, I've never, maybe I don't even, you know, maybe there's this feeling of panic, unprepared or, you know, whatever it might be or angry. That's one feeling I've had. Angry, how dare you doubt God after all he's done for you. <laughs> and then you just, you know, this anger comes out. Um, disappointment, or no, that's not disappointment, that's peace. Okay, I didn't, I, I must not have. <laughs> that would be fabulous if my disappointment looked like that. Um, but, so you could feel disappointed that everything you've been doing is, doesn't seem to have been going in the right direction. You thought things were going so well, like she was about to sign up for you know, a year-long mission trip, and now you find out she's not even sure God exists anymore. Um, but you could feel peaceful. That conversation, could, you could leave that and feel totally peaceful. You could actually feel joy about that. You could feel excited about that. Yes. I'm going to tell you, I have felt all of these, 
And now, where I am in my life, I would be feeling the last three because of what I'm going to share with you today. I would actually feel excited, joy. Will I have some concern? Yeah. But I'm not going to feel fear, and I'm not going to panic, and I'm not going to be frustrated or angry. Back in the times when I, I look back on my own self, I look back on the times I was angry, frustrated, it was because I felt that, like the answers all depended on me, and I didn't have them. I was, if I had to get gut level honest, it was pride. I don't have the answer for you. Don't put me in this position. Of course, you don't say that out loud. So what you do is you just make the other person feel bad about their spirituality, you know, or something like, you know, I feel short, so let me just cut your legs off, you know, so I feel taller or whatever. Um, so the goal for me today is I want to share a few things that I think are going to help us move toward having that place of peace. It's not going to happen today, but I want to give some encouragement on how we can get to a place where when we are dealing with unbelievers, were you the one that asked that question? When we are sitting with someone who doesn't believe at all, or when we're sitting with a teenager who we've raised in our household all the way up and then 18, he finally tells us, I don't believe, or how can we feel more peace, joy, and even excitement in those moments? And how can we also, the, the info that I want to share, I believe will help you to be able to deliver this kind of information to encourage them. It's an encouragement for you. It's an encouragement for Debbie Doubter. And that's my goal. So three things I want to talk about. And the first one is um, that we need to have a proper understanding of biblical faith to begin with. We are trying to become people of faith. We're discipling people to be people of faith. So, right? Would you agree? It's important that we have a proper understanding of faith. What is biblical Christian faith to begin with? What are we leading people to? So think about how you would define faith. Um, anyone want to share? How would you define it? Trust. Okay. Great. Don't everybody <laughs> volunteer at once. All right. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes. Obedience. Obedience, okay, obedience. good, um, great. Well, let's, th those are good, all good answers. Let's take a look at a few definitions. Uh, here's the dictionary definition first. A strong belief in the doctrines of a religion, and the word doctrine, by the way, and I don't want to sound condescending, I just want to define terms because I don't always know the definitions of terms, but doctrine is a word that sometimes scares people and it drives me nuts because all it means is teachings. When you say, I want to know sound doctrine, doesn't mean you're trying to be an intellectual nerd. It means you want to know what the right teachings of Christ are. That's all it means, teachings. So whenever you see that word, if, it, if you don't like it, change it to teachings and you're fine. A strong belief in the doctrines or teachings of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. So this is saying, this is, a, this is putting spiritual conviction and proof kind of um, juxtaposed against one another. So we just have spiritual conviction, we have no proof. That's what faith is defined in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, but if you think about what you would, how you would define fantasy, it would be believing in something that has no proof. <laughs> kind of, you know, believing. So basically this is likening faith and fantasy into the same category. Let's take a look at what, uh, this is Richard Dawkins. If any of you are familiar with atheists, he's one of the most outspoken atheists today. He says, scientific belief is based on publicly checkable evidence. Religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its joy shouted from the rooftops. 
<laughs> so what he's basically saying is, it is what we're doing is we're actually so excited because there's no evidence. That's what we're actually celebrating in his mind, like a bunch of goofballs over here. And this is Mark Twain. Faith is believing something you know ain't so. <laughs> this is predominant cultural understanding of faith. And unfortunately, a little bit of this you'll find in the church as well. We've got to know what biblical faith really is. Okay. Um, so now let's look at this guy that I really love. This, does anybody know who this is just from the picture? I'll be impressed. Okay, this is John Lennox. He's a professor at Oxford as well. Richard Dawkins is as well. This is what he says. Mainstream Christianity will insist that faith and evidence are inseparable. Indeed, faith is a response to evidence, not a rejoicing in the absence. Dawkins' definition of faith as blind faith turns out, therefore, to be the exact opposite of the biblical one. So we have some people saying that Christian faith is blind and others saying that Christian faith is the exact opposite of blind. And we need to know who's right because that is what we're going to be exuding, modeling, encouraging. Oh, um, so cute. Um, the people that we're pouring into. So one thing to remember is that everyone lives by faith. Everyone. This is something, this is a little word of encouragement. Um, when someone says, you know, faith, we're living by faith, and they think that sounds like it's dumb or something, everyone lives by faith. Every time we get up in the morning and step on the ground, we expect the floor to be there. That's faith. I don't know for sure it's going to be there. I just do it because I've done it enough times to know that it's there. When you sat in the chair, you sat down in the chair not like, help, okay, hold my hands. Everybody hold me, because I don't know what's going to happen. You've sat in enough chairs that you now have faith that it's going to hold you. We, this is one thing I think about, and I'm kind of weird, but every time I go through a green light, I'm living by faith. Massive faith that the people that are getting a red light on the other side are going to stop. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time it does. When I eat at a restaurant, I'm living by faith. I'm praying and believe, I'm believing that this food is prepared correctly, that the busboy wasn't mad that day and spitting my food. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be real nice. I worked in the restaurant industry far too long, but I still eat at restaurants because of faith. Faith is like what Joanne said. It was awesome. It's, it's, it's believing in something you have reasonable expectation to trust. It, you've, you've done it enough times. So everybody is doing this. Atheists are living by faith. Faith is not something that, that happens only when you have a religious belief system. We're all living by faith. But is God asking us to have a different kind of faith? Or when, when we're talking about sitting in a chair and we can believe that, that it's going to hold us, that's kind of a silly thing, but we have faith in it. We're, God is... is this humongous creator of the universe and, and he's communicating and revealing himself to us and wanting us to follow him and do you think that he would expect a different kind of faith from us or require us to somehow use our brains in a completely different way other than what he created us? Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Did Jesus ask his disciples to follow him without evidence? Did Jesus ask anybody to follow him without any evidence? 
He didn't. He gave a lot of evidence for who he claimed to be, didn't he? There were eyewitnesses. You can't have anything more solid than an eyewitness. There were, more, there were eyewitnesses to what he did during his life. There were eyewitnesses to the fact that he came out of the grave. There were over 500 eyewitnesses to his resurrected body. That's what the Bible tells us. This is not an evidence-less thing that we are believing in. There, the, the evidence for the resurrection is, is very, very stacked. And, and so we aren't being asked to believe. Jesus didn't ask it then. He's not asking it now. There is evidence. Here's what a, a Christian philosopher, J.P. Moreland, says. He's a really good one to follow. Biblically, faith is a power or skill to act in accordance with the nature of the kingdom of God, a trust in what we have reason to believe is true. Understood in this way, we see that faith is built on reason. We should have good reasons for thinking that Christianity is true before we dedicate ourselves completely to it. That's rational, right? Do you think God's asking us to be irrational? He gave us our minds. And so there's the, we do have good reasons. And sometimes we need to bolster our reasons and what I'm talking about today. I saw on Facebook, sometimes I just cringe and I'm not trying to be negative here, but I saw a woman's ministry leader post this quote on Facebook. The opposite of faith is certainty. The opposite of faith is certainty. Now, I understand probably what she was going for right then was to have some kind of unique twist on it to give encouragement to us when we don't know all the answers. But if you take that equation and say the opposite of faith is certainty, then faith would equal uncertainty. And I just wanted to go, no, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not a thinkingless, evidenceless, rationalist-less faith. The opposite of faith is not certain. It's the opposite of faith is unbelief. <clears throat> the opposite of faith is unbelief. I want to say this too, by the way, that I would be very cautious of the desire or to, to try to take scripture and put a unique spin on it. Um, and when you're listening to teachers and they want to put some creative spin on, on, on the interpretation of it, there's a weird thing in the church where we think that's cool or that's so spiritual when somebody can take a scripture we've read a million times and make it say something we've never thought before. Well, sometimes that's good, but sometimes that's dangerous. Because really the goal of biblical discipleship is to know what the Bible really means. What, it, what, what is the sound interpretation, not what's the unique interpretation. Does that make sense? We want to know what, what have Christians for 2,000 years plus believed about this particular doctrine. And, and, and the Bible, here's a good one too, one of these little one word, one little quotes. The Bible will never mean what it never meant. <coughs> We don't need to be asking each other, what does this verse mean to you? Because that's not the right question. We need to be asking, what does it mean? And how does it apply to you? And it's a huge difference because I don't take Joanne's book and point to a paragraph in the middle and say, what does that paragraph mean to you? 
you know? We would want to know, what did Joanne mean by that? She's the one that wrote the book. She had a purpose in mind. It's no different from the documents we're reading in the, New Testament, in the Bible. The Bible is a collection of, of literature of different forms, different genres that all have a meaning that God intended, and that's what we want to get at. So that's just a little bit of advice there, too. Let's take a look at the, the someone mentioned Hebrews. Let's take a look at this scripture that we all usually think of when we're talking about the definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the NIV. In the New King James, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, sentimental journey back to seventh grade language arts. Let's take a look at the sentence structure here for a second. What you see is that the subject is faith. There's a linking ber verb that tells us that whatever's coming next is going to restate or further define the, the subject. Faith is confidence. Now this is a, pair, is a prepositional phrase in what we hope for. So we can, it's not unimportant, but it isn't part of the main meat of the sentence. And faith is assurance. In the New King James translation, the wording is faith is substance, faith is evidence. Now what happens to us for some reason is people want to focus on, they skip the actual part of the sentence that is meant to be the definer and they go to the modifier in the prepositional phrase and say faith is hoped for and faith isn't seen. So, we all have this, do you see the difference now when you're dealing with Debbie Doubter? What is your expectation of her going to be? What are you going to be able to offer her if biblical faith is hoped for and unseen? Now here's the thing guys, our personal testimony is evidence enough for many of us, right? For me, what God has done in my heart has me hooked for life. What he has transformed in my life and forgiven me for and healed me of has me in for life, but I can't transfer that to Debbie Doubter. I can't scoop that out of my heart and put that in her. And unfortunately, when you go talk to a Mormon about why they believe in and why they're Mormon, they will tell you it's because of what they feel. It's because of the burning in the bosom. Well, what makes your burning and my burning, what, what makes yours right and my wrong? You know, we need to have substance, confidence, evidence, and we do. When we see words like, wait, okay, maybe I didn't make a slide of that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. When we see words like assurance and confidence and evidence and, and we are, what, what part of your body does that make you think you need to use? Brain. Your brain. Your brain. Um, okay, let me not lose my, my spot here. Sorry, guys. I get off on these tangents because I get so excited. Um, again, I want to repeat, the opposite of faith is not certainty. The opposite of faith is unbelief. If, if faith is evidence, if faith is assurance, when we don't have faith, we don't believe. That's what that means. We do not want to expect Debbie to have blind faith. So what's happening already in that conversation, the reason I can get excited about this is she doesn't want her faith to be blind. 
She's asking hard questions. She, she's moving in the direction of not having a blind faith, and that's exciting to me. That's why I feel excited. She's using her brain. She's thinking about something. Okay, the num- point number two, we need to have a lifestyle that includes the regular practice of loving God with our minds. We forget that sometimes because we feel like sometimes in the church, and I've run into this a lot, I'm sure you have, I've felt this in the past. I have felt like the more intellectual someone is with their faith, the more intellectually informed their faith is, the less spiritual they are. Oh man, they've lost the love and feeling. (laughs) They've got all, oh my gosh, she is just so caught up in these. Why is she studying doctrine all the time? I mean, why is she into theology? Okay, first of all, what that said is, why is she into knowing what she believes about God? And why is, she so, why is she studying teachings of Christ all the time? That's basically when you say, why are you into doctrine and theology? That's what you're saying. Why are you into beliefs about God and teachings of Christ? Would you ever say that to somebody? So you should never ask them why they care about doctrine and theology. We should all, and you are. You're already a theologian, whether you know it or not. You're already studying doctrine, whether you know it or not, whether you call it that or not. So don't you want it to be sound? Yes, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have sound doctrine. Okay, Um, I am a very emotional person. I love emotions. I love the feels. I want all the feels. I, I love it when I get goosebumps when I'm in worship or when I, when I, the times that I can, I can think about my relationship with, with God and what the Holy Spirit has done in me. I love that. And I'm not going to lie that that's super important in my journey. But here's the thing. The, all, all of the studying that I have done as I've moved toward really including, not, not getting rid of all the love and feeling, I, I'm not getting rid of that. You can't take away my, my goosebumps. But I'm adding to that loving God with my mind. And everything I'm learning that maybe is more evidentiary or, or more, more you know, scholarly that I read, all it does is bolster the love and feeling. All it does is just cause me to worship more deeply. When I've learned something like the cosmological argument for the existence of God, which is basically just a sci- the scientific evidence for God's existence, when I know that, and I'm singing a song about the heavens declaring, oh my gosh, like, I'm like, yes, that's Einstein's theory of relativity and, and, and the radiation afterglow. And I'm thinking all this scientific evidence in my mind too, and maybe I'm a nerd, but I'm telling you, it just makes me feel like I'm not a fool. I'm not just singing a worship song to some invisible fairy thing, you know? This isn't a fantasy. This isn't blind faith. This is informed faith. Now, is there going to always be that little leap of, are we going to know? No, we're not. The Bible even tells us we will know face to, we will know face, to face someday. But we do see something. It doesn't say we look in the mirror and we see nothing. We see, we see a shadow. We have something to hold on to. And then we get to see it. So there is this little bit of a leap, but it's not very big when you start looking at all of the evidence. Um, So let's take a look at Jesus' command. This is something that we forget sometimes. Jesus is the one that said this. um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now what's interesting about the time when Jesus was saying this is he was actually in the town surrounded by an audience. He was in a battle of wits 
with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were drilling them on all kinds of different subjects. The first one was, should we give, um, should we pay Caesar taxes? That's what, you know, it was about Caesar and paying taxes. And Jesus answered them with no problem. He was able to answer a political question very, very soundly. And then they asked him, okay, how about when, um, you know, when somebody dies and, you know, they've been married a few times, like who, who are they going to be married to in heaven? Um, and Jesus answers them with no trouble. This is a theological question. He's able to answer a theological question. And then they ask him, well, what commandment is the most important? What, 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 tricking him. They're trying to catch him. And he answers no problem because we don't often think this, but Jesus was a smart man. Do you ever consider intelligent in your list of adjectives about Jesus? Good. I never did. I'm not warm, fuzzy, warm and fuzzy, for, for, you know, <laughs> forgiving, kind, humble, you know. I never really had intellectually astute, incredibly intelligent, a master of rhetoric. I never had all of that in my mind about Jesus, but that's who he was. He was able to handle theology, politics, ethics, and it was in that battle of wits that we got this. He said, this is, the, this is the greatest commandment. And what's interesting is the audience all would have known that he made a change. He added something. Because they had all known from their whole life since Moses, the Shema, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What did they notice he added? Mind. Mind. And this wasn't a slip of tongue. It wasn't that he didn't understand the original Hebrew. You know, he, he added it on purpose. And I truly believe it was because he knew that as his followers, we were going to need it all. He wanted to ask for all of us, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Give it to me all. Don't, don't leave your heart behind and don't leave your mind behind. Because you know what? You're going to be encountering false teachers, false ideas and philosophies, well, we don't have to deal with any of that, do we? Today. He didn't know we'd have it all figured out by now. Uh, yeah, we do. We need to be using our mind now, too. Not only from skeptics in the world, but from what's coming out of the church, too. There's some crazy stuff coming out of the corners and out of the woodwork. And if we don't know what we're talking about, if we can't spot sound, sound doctrine, at least in the, you know, I think of it like a, a bowling alley. Like, just have the gutter guards up. You don't have to be able to hit it right in the middle every time, but have the gutter guards up so that you can understand when it's just really outside the bounds, you know? Um, so he, he encourages this, and we need this, too. The... the um, Mind here is talking about intellect and reason. Um, one thing I want to say too, sorry guys, please forgive me. Um, so this is what he wanted his original audience to see and this is what he wants us to see. And um, this is kind of my paraphrase of what he's asking us and you could put sons in there as well. Love me by exercising your intellect with the passion-driven intention of knowing me and making me known. Let that be the motivation. I want to know him. I want to know God more than anything. You know what? If he's real, then dang it, he's the most important being ever. If God exists, then there's no other more important being in this creation. I'm a created being and he's my creator, then you better believe I want to know him as much as I can. Because... I, everything I do, my whole body right now, yours too, we're being held together by him. My heart's beating without anything I'm doing, it's all him. 
I need to know him. So loving God with my mind is all about, for me, it's not about being an intellect or having big words. In fact, I forget a lot that I learn. I, I have a, I'm like a, a tub that has a small leak. <laughs> you know, I fill that tub. All the, I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, learner. I can't get enough. But there's a small leak. <laughs> you know, I have to go back and reread, and I have to go back and listen again and call my friend who's got a razor-sharp memory that can remember everything. I'm like, how do you know this? Like, I, I'm there too. So, but um, it's all driven by, by love. So the reason why we need to add this, I don't want my faith, we don't want Debbie's faith to be feelings-based only. And here's the reason why. Even though I love the feels, I don't want it to be feelings-based only because feelings are fickle and deceptive. And I love that Kim mentioned that as well. She said, don't judge the effectiveness of your coffee by what you feel when you leave. Some of the most poignant things you will say to someone, they might give you the look like, You've just disgusted them or made them eat a Brussels sprout or something, you know? Like, you're not going to always get the affect or the results right then, but they're going to go home and, and they're going to think about it. You want to put a pebble in their shoe. That's an analogy I heard someone say. You love it when they leave a little bit uncomfortable, just a little. <laughs> like, what, what just happened? You don't want them to just always feel like you just made their life better because then you're not challenging at all. So let's take a look at a few more scriptures that, and, and, and look for where you can see the encouragement, the commandment, in fact, for us to be using our brains. First um, Peter 3.15 is one of my favorite. It says, sanctify God as Lord in your hearts. So yes, we have the heart part, but always be ready to make a defense. The Greek word is apologia. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. This Greek word actually is a legal term. What we're being asked to do is have a defense like a lawyer, not just all the feels, but to have reasons, sound reasons for why we're Christians. Our testimony, again, is valid. I don't ever want to take away the, the significance of a personal testimony, but it's not transferable all the time. Have you tried that with your teens? telling them your testimony, <laughs> see how life-changing it is for them. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you know, it works and they care, but they don't, they don't care that much until it becomes their own, you know, that's how it is. So this is apologetics. Have you ever heard of the study of apologetics? Some people have and some haven't and some people don't know what it's about. It is definitely not apologizing for our faith. I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian, I'm so sorry. No, that's not what it is. It's apologetics and sometimes people have a bad taste in their mouths for that because they're only thinking about people that want to have all the answers and argue with you all the time. And that is just not true. I am deeply ingrained in the apologetics community, deeply inspired by it and very into it. And I love these people. They care. They care about the skeptics. They care about the, the lost, the, the unbeliever. I mean, their hearts are all about answering some of these tough questions so that we don't lose people to doubt. That's what the apologists are doing. Let's take another look at some of these other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It is right, this is Philippians 1.7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Um, 
Titus 1.9, we must hold firmly to the untrustworthy message as it has been, to the trustworthy, sorry. Why did I say that? That was a really weird Freudian slip there, weird. Um, okay, we must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that we can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Do you know that, oh, sorry. There we go. This is spiritual warfare. Casting down, pulling down arguments doesn't happen by, an argument is an intellectual collection of ideas. An argument in logic is not fighting with somebody. It's stating a claim and then proving it with premises. It's called a syllogism. Like, this is true. If this, this, and this equal this, then we need to be able to find the logic in it, not experts in logic. Gosh, that can get really crazy and confusing. But just to be able to follow along enough to know that, that argument, that, that's false. That idea, uh-uh, that, that doesn't line up with sound doctrine. That doesn't, that's not obedient to, that doesn't fall in line with what I know to be true. So I don't know if you've ever read any of those scriptures thinking about the involvement of your intellect, but I hope you will. Um, it's not all about just naming and claiming or declaring and decreeing or any of that. It's, it's, it's about being able to take down arguments, to defend what we know. And it's also the spirit too. I was never eliminating the Holy Spirit and what this is a battle in this, in, this is a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that is always trying to get us, but we do our part by using our mind and our soul and our heart and all that Jesus asked. Um, okay. We are living in a culture that is a post-Christian culture. There are going to be more and more Debbie Doubters. Um, when I was a teenager, before Christ in my life, or in my early college years, when I was a partier and all of that, if you brought the Bible out, there would be reverence for it. If someone said, the Bible says, I'd be like, oh, yeah, um, back then. But now if you brought the Bible out and said, hey, the Bible says, they're going to go, I don't care what the Bible says. That's just a book of fairy tales. That, that's, how, how, that's just a book. That's just a travel journal of your ancestors, people that have gone before you. What does that mean to me if, I, if someone says that to me? Well, I need to back way up. I can't use the Bible with this person yet. I might need to start with, uh, with having them understand that objective truth is a reality because people don't believe truth anymore. Oh, that's true for you. It's not true for me. Truth by definition is exclusive. This is either a, uh, a remote or it's not a remote. It can't be what I feel for it to be or what you feel it is. It's either a remote or not. That's the law of non-contradiction. It can't be two things at once. It could be dangerous. Right, it could be dangerous, yeah. But so there are realms of subjective reality where it's an opinion, you know, chocolate ice cream is the best. You know, that's a subjective truth claim. That's something that can be in the realm of opinion. But saying Jesus died on the cross, that's not subjective. That's a historical event. It either happened or it didn't. It can't be true for you and true, not true for me. It's either true or it's not. Don't you understand? Either George Washington existed or he didn't. He can't be alive or not. But it's, it's not true for you or true for me. And, you know, not true. It's, it's an historically, objectively verifiable fact. And we need to be able to help people to see that. And they go, oh, <laughs> try it with money. This is the one that always works. Oh, okay, well, let's go to the bank because, like, I want to take out, look, show me what you got in there. I'll take that. 
Well, wait a minute, that's not your money. Well, that's just true for you. <laughs> it's true for me, is this, this is all my money. That's my truth. Okay, so see, people don't really believe what they say when they say that. That's true for you and not for me. They don't really believe that. They're just, they've been taught that by the culture that for some reason some things can be true, but when you get into the realm of religion, now that all is like smoke and mirrors. Why? Who made that rule? No, there's objectively verifiable facts that lead to us to know that the resurrection occurred. It's exciting. Okay, let me move on because I'm taking too much time. I knew I would. I told Joanne she can boss me around, so if she does it, don't think badly of her. Uh, let me find out where I am. Here's some statistics. Um, this is the Barna Group. We are learning that one of the primary reasons that ministry to teenagers fails to produce a lasting faith is because they are not being taught to think. So Debbie Doubter is well on her way to being a solid disciple. She's thinking. She's thinking. That's exciting. She might, we might not lose her because she's using her brain. She's trying. She doesn't, who wants to lose their faith? Nobody sets out wanting to lose their faith. I haven't met anybody that's just hoping that I can dismantle their faith in a conversation. She's desperately wanting to, to, to remain, to have that faith. Um, here's another one. The percentage of atheists and agnostics teaching at American colleges is three times greater than in the general population. So, um, so more than 50% of college professors believe the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts. What that means is if there's only 10 atheists in the world, eight of them are teaching your kid at college. At a Christian college. I am not kidding you. Now, the more I study scholarly things and, and I'm reading a lot of this, I realize that things I never knew. There are atheistic New Testament scholars. They study the New Testament as historical documentation. And it's very solid. In fact, Luke is considered one of the most reliable historical sources of all for that time period. Luke is a, historians that don't believe in Jesus look to Luke as a reliable historical source in the scholarly world. But you can send your kid off or you might be discipling Debbie and you thought she was at seminary, but she came back and her New Testament teacher just totally derailed her whole faith in the Bible. So we've got, to, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just saying what's out there. This is why we just want to love Jesus the mind a little bit at a time. We just need to be on our way. We can't model something that we've got to model. We've got to model a little bit. We don't have to all be scholars. Praise God. I love what you said. I'm, not the, I'm the primary care physician. I might be a little more knowledgeable about something, but there's always specialists. We just need to know where they are and who to rely on so we can send Debbie to the right specialists. Um, okay, moving along here. The last point is... Um, so we don't, what we don't want to do is shame people. Let me see. Okay. We don't want to shame anybody who's doubting. And that's been a big culture of the church, unfortunately. We don't want to shame Debbie. If we don't have the answers right then, we just say, you know what? I don't know. Those are fantastic questions. That gives us a great roadmap of what we're going to start studying together. That's, that, that's how simple it can be. But we need to hold a proper view of doubt um, because once we begin to study, we're gonna inevitably begin to start seeing things that scholars disagree on. For me, I can't tell you how many momentary crises of faith I've had when I discovered that this scholar doesn't agree with this scholar and they're debating on something that I thought was a done deal. 
I thought this was a no-brainer, and you guys are debating, and I understand, I can totally see what you're saying, and I can totally see what you're saying, and oh my gosh, you know, what do we, you know, you have that moment, but I never let go, because what matters most, and this is important for us to know the difference between essential doctrines, essential teachings of our salvation and of our faith, and the non-essentials. Um, did Jesus die on the cross and come out of the grave? Absolutely essential. The resurrection, Paul himself said, if, if Jesus himself, if Jesus is not resurrected, we are among all people to be most pitied. Mm-hmm. We have the only faith that sets its, its Achilles heel right out there for people. That, wh- what other faith do you know that says, if you can press this button, we all, just, we, we all fall apart? That's how sound and how robust are the evidence and the, the reality of our faith is. Paul says, here you go. Here's the destruct button. If Jesus didn't come out of the grave, we're all, we're all idiots. I'll just hand it to you. Try to prove that. Try to prove he didn't come out of the grave. The evidence is so stacked. So that's what I always want to cling to as the thing. When we're doubting, cling to this. Hang on to this. Hang on to this rope, this red rope of what Jesus did on that cross and how he came out of that grave. And we will hang on tightly while we go figure out all this stuff that's not essential to what Paul made that the essential thing. I'm going to keep it as the essential thing while I discover how old the earth is or read about it or whatever. It is so not important to whether or not we are saved. And Does that make sense? So it's important for us to know what's essential and what's not. And it's okay. Like when I was, what I was always driving for with my students is, I don't want to tell you what to believe on this, but I want you to know that scholars disagree on this. I want you to know it. Because I don't want you to go to your college and have them tell you that. I want you to know it. Scholars disagree, but it's okay because this. Um, This is something you can hold in tension because even though we have substantial evidence, we don't have eye-to-eye proof on everything. And there is a little bit of mystery in our faith. There's nothing irrational, but there is mystery. Mystery is not irrational. Mystery just means I, there's mystery for everybody. The atheist can't prove 100% without a shadow of any doubt what they're believing either. So what, what mystery, you know, everybody's got it. Um, we're not alone when we doubt. The Bible is full of giants of the faith who doubted. <laughs> Jesus had to say to the guys who walked and ate and ministered and with him in person, he had to say things like, where's your faith? Are you so dull? Do you still not understand? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After they even saw the evidence with their own eyes. We're not alone. John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus and heard the father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Follow him. John the Baptist had a moment in prison where he was like, oh my gosh, are we wrong? Is he the Messiah? Like after all of that. And Jesus was loving and said, go tell him, go remind him about all the things. Go remind him of the evidence. Go remind him of the evidence. And then we have Peter who witnessed the transfiguration. He saw the full glory of Jesus as God. Three people got to see that. He was one of them. And out of fear and trembling denied Jesus. We all know that story. These are people that we have ahead of us. And one of my favorites too, this is the story of where Jesus, um, the man was coming because his daughter, or wait, son, how long has this been happening? This guy's child is sick and he wants Jesus to help. And Jesus says, um, if you, all things are possible for one who believes. And the father said, um, I believe, help my unbelief. One of my favorite scriptures right there. I believe, 
help my unbelief. This section over here where I'm, I'm skeptical and I'm still struggling, please help that. But I believe, I'm hanging to the cross. I know you came out of that grave. I know you did. I've studied the evidence. I, I believe it with everything in my mind and in my heart. We're not alone. We're in good company. Um, there's no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus even when we're struggling, even for Debbie. Our goal is not going to be to dispel every doubt she has. Don't feel like that's your success. Don't set the bar that that's success. That success equals she has no more doubts. That's not even true for you. I've got um, a list of people here that were honest enough to admit some things they've doubted with. I've doubted. In fact, there have been times when I've looked outside and I've been, where are you? It's when I don't have the feels. It's when the feels are gone that what I know here saves my day. Because I'm not feeling you. You're not answering me. Where are you? Why don't I feel? Why isn't this changing? Why isn't this prayer answered? And then I look outside and I see something like a tree and I go, that has such complex design. <laughs> Every design has a designer. Okay. That, that's not undesigned. There's patterns for here. The, the whole, I start walking myself through logically, you know, and I use my rational part of my mind and it brings me back around to knowing, okay, I know you're here, so you better start talking. <laughs> I, that's how I talk to them sometimes. Like, I've got all the evidence. I've got it all. You better start talking. Um, no, I don't boss him around like that. But, um, you know, we can have all kinds of doubts, intellectual doubts. That's when we doubt whether, you know, um, because this started from the very beginning, doubt. Did God really say, are you sure you won't, won't, you know, we've been confused. This is where doubt snuck in in the garden. Intellectual doubt, um, trying to confuse us and compromise. God wants to use that intellectual doubt, and he will. Because what I have doubted before, if I will not give up, and I will be intellectually honest, that means the first thing I read that drives me nuts and actually ticks me off, I'm not stopping there. I am going to read that person's perspective, think about it all the way through, and move on to the next one. Because if I stop whenever anything irritates me, I'm not being humble. And I'm not being a lifelong learner. I've got to be brave enough. We've got to be brave enough to plunge into the opposite opinion for a little bit just to make sure we're not missing something. Moral doubts. This is when we doubt that God's good. I know you're there, but I don't know you're good. And this is something that we study when we talk about the problem of evil. It's a big one. Why do does, why does so many horrible things happen to good people? If there's a God, why is there evil in the world? Well, those aren't totally contradictory to one another. We just have to be able to say, and we never want to give some logical answer to someone who's grieving. Well, let me show you the, uh, the syllogism that will answer your question right now. Why did mom you know, suffer so long? We don't do that. There's the heart part. Um, and then we have you know, those um, emotional doubts um, and moral doubts. Is God righteous? Is this fair of him? Is that fair? Whenever we doubt like that, first of all, we need to remember the proper place for our reason, our intellect. <laughs> this is um, from Martin Luther, Protestant reformer. He said, there's a magisterial place for reason and a ministerial. Magisterial is when reason, our intellect, sits over and above the gospel like a magistrate and judges whether it's true or false. That's pride. That's not what God gave us our intellect for. This is ministerial, when reason submits to this and serves the gospel as a ha handmaiden. I'm serving the gospel. If God is always innocent for me, 
he's always right. If what I see in science and what I read in the Bible and what I'm feeling in my heart isn't lining up, the problem is not with truth, the problem is with how I'm interpreting things, always. It's always gonna be the way I'm interpreting it. It's never the fact that reality isn't reality. It's always gonna line up to one truth with God. So, um, we wanna remember who's the boss. We wanna keep praying, I'm trying to speed up here. Um, Remember the essentials, minister to, um, to Debbie with peace. We don't have to have all the answers. A good question sometimes is, well, what do you mean by that? That's a really great question with a non-believer. When they say, do you, I don't believe, do you, you don't believe in evolution? Um, you could say, well, tell me, what do you mean by that? We need to ask more questions. We need to get more definitions. We need to understand when they say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? What, who, who, who is Jesus to you? Because we can't assume, like Kim said, or, or Joanne, I don't remember who said it, but we can't always assume. So that's a great conversation. So what do you mean by that? What do, what do you mean? Have you ever considered this? You know what? I don't have an answer for that. Let's meet again. That is a fascinating question. Where do you, you know, let's go look for some solid sources together. Doubts can be the springboard to your personal journey of the most deeply felt convictions from evidence that you've ever had. And it can also be the springboard for the most vulnerable, transparent, deeply meaningful discipleship relationships that you've ever had. Letting someone doubt in your presence, walking them hand to hand and encouraging her, you know what, we don't have to have the answers today, right? You agree we don't need to, we don't need to come to a consensus today, right? Are you okay with just believe, just, just holding, holding out the possibility still for today that Jesus is real and what the Bible says is true? Could you, would you be okay just hanging on to that for today for us while we find some more answers? Yeah, I can do that. Don't throw Jesus out while you're weighing all of this. Just don't throw him out. Keep him on the, keep him on the scale for a minute, okay? Okay. I mean, it's, we don't have to get freaked out and freak her out and, and, and all of that. And with people that are non-believers, you might have to start with just explaining that truth exists. Then God exists. There's evidence for just the existence of God. Then moving to, well, if he's there, does he actually communicate with us? If he does, where can we find the right communication from him? Is it the Bible? How do we know? And string it through because not everybody believes the Bible matters anymore. But the, the biggest encouragement too, um, we don't have to do it all, but we, can't, we need to do something. Like I get that there are seasons of life when the thought of trying to pick up a scholarly book at all makes you want to throw up, <laughs> scream, run for the hills and buy a tiny home off the grid. And <laughs> you know, like that's, you know, so I understand that. Here's what I do, just so, and I'm going to send you what, before you leave, I'm giving you a list of what I consider what I would say start with, some books, places to start. Theology, um, evidence for the Bible, why is it authoritative? Why is, how, why, who says? That's the kind of question a skeptic will ask, is great, I'm glad you got a Bible, but who says? Who says that's the authority? I never doubted that when I was young. Today, people doubt that. Um, there's some t resources on there for you, apologetics, things for teens, things for kids, just for you to start. I will warn you that when you read one, there's always a million footnotes and you'll feel compelled to go and you'll freak out because, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was a tributary down here. Just know one inch at a time. My dad used to tell me inch by inch, everything's a cinch. If, if my mouth is only big enough for a teaspoon, then I'm going to put a teaspoon in and I'm going to feel successful about it. And I like to listen to things when I'm putting my makeup on. There's podcasts galore now. Um, there's online courses. 
You can listen to seminary while you're getting your makeup on. I listen in the car. I forgo music a lot of times, and I'll listen to an audible book. Um, I know that sounds like death to some people that need their music in the car, but I maybe you do three days a week music, two days a week a podcast. Something where you're filling your mind with something that stretches it a little bit. Stretch it a little bit. Before you know it, at the end of the year, you're going to read something you read the first time and you felt panic because, what's that word mean? I've never known that. And then you're going to look back and go, oh, I learned a lot this year. Um, so, so I've got those resources coming for you. But um, I wanted to stop now and just see if there's any questions. And I want to make sure that everybody takes a deep breath and doesn't feel, is everybody OK? <laughs> Not everybody. A few people were like, no, I don't like you at all. <laughs> Um, I, I, I saw a few like, but I have to, again, I can't base this on how I feel right now or your looks or any of your expressions. I have to go by hoping that you feel inspired. Now you know why I said it's going to feel good like a splinter coming out? Because it can feel a little overwhelming and we just can't do that. The Holy Spirit promises to complete the work he's begun in us. We always have our teacher and our guide, and I just try to pray, Lord, there's a million things on the podcast schedule. Which one do you want me to listen to today? Guide me in what's important for me to know now. Where do I need to grow? Um, and, you know, that's a good place to start. Anything that tries, I agree with that. And anytime she said, don't shrink back and do nothing. That's what she said. Anytime you, have, you hear a message that disparages your reasoning, please listen to me. Experience of the heart and sound doctrine protect one another. Experiences of the heart and sound doctrine protect one another. The doctrine protects the heart from going off into la-la land, and the heart protects the doctrine from going over into I'm so smart and the world owes me a living. They protect each other, but they need each other. Whenever you're hearing somebody make fun of, belittle the study of theology or doctrine or using your mind, please just put up a, a little bit of a guard and go, okay, I, I don't understand why you, I need to know more about that. Because that's somebody trying to encourage you to think that study is less spiritual. Mm -hmm. It is not. Jesus commanded it. Mm -hmm. Can you um, the whole part? Oh, oh, okay. Experience, experience of the heart and sound doctrine protect one another. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from Grace and Truth Living's track called Women in Disciple Making. Download their free PDF giveaway that has 42 printable scripture memory cards at discipleship.org slash grace and truth. In addition to this podcast and that download, you'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.